Welcome to episode 166 of the Jesus Famous Podcast. Our podcast exists to see Jesus honored, glorified, loved, esteemed, appreciated, adored, revered, and followed. That's Jesus Famous to us. We want to see that in your everyday life. So we do, we want to see your love for Jesus explode in every facet of life. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Nate Holdridge. I'll be hosting today's episode. I also pastor Calvary Monterey on the California Central Coast. And this is what I preach about, Jesus Famous, uh, but like to write and podcast about Jesus Famous during the week. And uh, so here on this show, we'd like to have interviews, discussions, stories, articles that will help propel you further into an appreciation of Jesus. And uh, today's episode uh, is going to be on parenting in the age of expressive individualism. And uh, my guest today is Pastor Matt Kaler. Uh, He's been serving alongside me for about seven years now and uh, is our family pastor here at Calvary Monterey. Uh, He and his wife Bree have two amazing little boys. Uh, Probably the thing you need to know the most about Matt for this episode is that he is a really good dad and leads his family well. Uh, But he also is exposed to lots of families uh, in his role here in the church Uh, running our kids ministry and doing lots of personal discipleship with men in the church. Uh, So he is privy to the marriages and families uh, here in this fellowship and uh, beyond. So he's got a great perspective. Not only that, Matt is a a guy who loves to think deeply about the philosophies and ideologies that are driving so much of people's behaviors and activities today. So that's why he has thought about uh, expressive individualism in our modern age and how it's impacting uh, parents. So I think you're going to be blessed by this conversation, especially uh, if you're a parent of um, younger children, but even teenage children uh, as well. So Pastor Matt, thanks for being with us today, hanging out. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, bro. So, you know, we're not on video today. We're just recording the audio podcast. So I just want to kind of set things up a little bit. Uh, You're rocking a gray t-shirt with a hoodie and a black jacket over it and a Bass Pro Shops hat, which I've noticed that your brothers, or I mean, excuse me, your sons rock the Bass Pro Shop uh, hat as well. Is that like a father-son bonding experience? Yes. Uh, You know, anytime we go to Bass Pro, you walk in and they've got just a whole basket of hats, right? And that's kind of the first thing you're greeted with. And so, yeah, that was uh, there was a day where me and my boys and my wife were there, and so we had to grab hats, and we all grabbed a different color. So, this is the green um, Bass Pro hat. Mm-hmm. It's a little faded right now. Yeah, I actually weathered. looks like you've actually done some fishing in it. I had a guy um, come to our door, and he was dropping off something, or you know, uh, giving us a package, and. He's like, hey, nice hat. I was like, oh, thanks. He's like, you want to trade? And he offered to trade me. I think he had like a, um, it's like a Hurley hat or something. He offered to trade me this hat, even how weathered it was. I thought he was joking. And I was like, sure. And he's like, really? I was like, oh, actually, no. (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's definitely, um, it's good to hear that you bought it uh, new at Bass Pro Shops. Because just looking at it, I kind of thought like, I don't know. He might have gone on eBay and uh, picked up, you know, an old you know me. weathered grizzly, grizzled fisherman's old hat. So sweat stains. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the, these are all mine. Love it. Love it. All right. So, OK, parents out there, yeah. you know, they're wanting to do their best and uh, raise their kids well. And here we come as pastors and uh, rather than just saying like, hey, we want to talk about parenting or biblical parenting or biblical concepts and parenting, you know, hopefully all those things come up today. Yeah. We're coming at it from parenting in the age of expressive individualism. That's not a, a phrase that you hear in the Bible. Sure. So w- what is expressive in individualism and what's wrong with it? Yeah, great question, Nate. And um you know, I am by no means the expert on this, um, you know, as as you mentioned. You are today. Uh, I'm the expert today, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, I do have a heart for people and parents and hmm. 
I think, you know, both you and I, we just have such a desire for truth and seeing how God's word can apply to the questions that our culture is asking and society's living in. And so this is a, um, this is an area that I've tried to understand, um, not just to, to, to tear it apart, but mm-hmm. to look and go, what is it that's happening to us as a culture that this yeah. teaching, this ideology has become so prominent? Mm-hmm. So, and then what does the scripture say? And, and where, where does it bring a greater story, a, a better news kind of a thing? So um, really expressive individualism, there's a lot of different um, <clears throat> definitions for it. I like what someone has said. It's an ideology that views the whole uh, point of a person's existence is to be true to themselves. Mm. So it's this kind of idea, you know, we hear phrases like, you decide who you are, Mm. you choose your identity, um, so do what feels right. Mm. Be true to yourself, and and Mm. in fact, the, the cardinal sin for the expressive individualist would be not being true to yourself. Right. What they would consider... Um, maybe pushing um, down your your true inner you know essence or feelings of self, um, and you follow your heart, right? Or so. or forcing someone else to suppress who they are. Yep. Yeah, that would also be a yeah. big sin for an expressive individual. Totally, totally. So Interesting. I I think um, I think you know some of the ways that we see this uh, and and can understand it is is as funny as it is. You know, is through um, different media that's pointed no yeah us, that's right? a great that's a great way to illustrate it so what are some examples yeah in your i think mind? you know it, it's funny because you look at like the latest disney animated releases and, mm-hmm. and disney's easy to pick on but they just do such a good job of embracing expressive individualism yes, they're they such do. champions of it yeah. they really are but you think of the story that that really follows a lot of these animated films there's the young protagonist they got to find their way and that usually entails um, going against the authority structure right. over their life, whether that's a family, whether that's a tradition, whether that's even a community of people. And essentially, they need to figure out a way to break the rules that are in place in order to follow their heart, yeah. which is the ultimate good presented in, in the, the story. So I think the side note that, that is interesting to know is the authority structures are usually always presented as harsh <laughs> And cruel and like completely out of touch. Of course. Right? Yeah, always. So they're just, they're out to lunch. They don't get it. And uh, those are the examples that we have for us. Um, so the protagonist, the, the main character needs to rise above these controlling authority structures in order to pursue happiness. And so, which the idea of expressive individualism is it's discovered by looking within mm. and being true to oneself. So the message really becomes be authentic. And, and that idea of authenticity, one author says, it's, it's for individuals to be authentic. They must align their lives with their deepest desires. And that, for societies to be authentic, they must applaud individuals for aligning life with their deepest desires. So that's kind of what you were talking about. It's not just for an individual, but there's this component where society as a whole needs to approve and applaud yep. those decisions that are made, whether to buck authority and just to pursue one's own self-interest. Or to come to a place of realizing, oh man, this is not who I want to be. I want to be something different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, society needs to applaud. So that's, um, I think, I don't know if you have anything else to say. I know you, you also looked at these things and study these things too, but that's kind of a No, that, that's so well said. You know, to me, the expressive individual uh, philosophy, it's part of why Christianity has fallen into disfavor so quickly in the West. Um, You know, the phrase I like to use to describe the shift that we've seen is that it wasn't all that long ago that Christianity, even if you didn't believe it, was seen as something that was a positive contribution to your society. When I was growing up, it was shifted into... um, it was more of a silly belief system. So maybe like uh, akin to believing in the Easter bunny or Santa Claus, but whatever, that's fine. If you want to believe something ridiculous like that, but 
Now it's considered a dangerous mm-hmm. ideology. I mean, by many in line with something like Nazism, you mm-hmm. know, if, if those are dangerous concepts that you're thrusting on other people's uh, lives. And I think that part of the reason that shift happened is because of this full scale embrace of expressive individualism. Uh, there's a book that honestly was mostly way over my head that I, but I powered through it by Carl Truman called the rise and triumph of the modern self. And in that book, he, uh, in a very scholarly way, uh, demonstrates that this has been around for a while, yeah. but it's kind of hit full steam. It's full stride in recent years. And, you know, his kind of one way of explaining it, like in, in that book, what he wants to uncover kind of his premise sentence is how did, what happened to where the sentence I'm a woman trapped in a man's body? How did that sentence become normative Mm. so quickly? Because just a generation or two ago, that would have been, you know, scoffed at or Mm -hmm. laughed at. So what happened? And his point is, look, all of these behaviors have been around forever. I mean, in the time of the Roman empire, all the stuff that we're seeing people do today was around back then. But the philosophy that this is my true self that I'm living out and it's dangerous for you to suppress that in my, in me and in my life, that wasn't around. That is a recent construct. Mm. Mm. Um, and so we're seeing similar behaviors, but, but it's tied to this philosophy or this ideology. Yeah. You mentioned Disney, uh, probably the best example of it that I can think of is when Elsa sings her famed "Let It Go," right? What she's Absolutely. she's letting go of all the expectations, all the power structures, all the you know, this is what my parents say that I should be and do. She's letting go of all of that, and like you said, everything she's letting go of is framed in the movie as evil and oppressive and out of touch. Mm-hmm. She's letting go of all of that. And she's going to embrace who she really truly is on the inside. And she just so happens to be on the inside of frost queen who can turn <laughs> things into ice. So she's just going <laughs> to embrace yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty impressive story. Totally. But yeah, I think that's part of the reason why that song became so popular. Yeah. You know, people, you know, love that idea. Love totally. that, that concept. So, for you, you know, we the the genesis of this conversation here on this podcast is honestly just a personal conversation that you and I were having. Yeah. Where you know, as you were sharing with me about um what what you're seeing and how how you're seeing a parenting shift and change with the times. Um you said, you know, I think expressive individualism is impacting uh modern parenting quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So how, how is it doing that? What, what, and what is wrong yeah. with expressive individualism? Maybe we should start there. What, what's yeah, the, that's a good, what's place. bad about it? Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I always like to do is try to, um, try to find any good, like, is there any kernel of mm, like yeah. <laughs> something good that, that we could also affirm in, in some, something like expressive individualism? Cause you know, it's like, there's oftentimes, even in secular ideologies, a kernel of truth. Right <laughs> now, obviously, we can't we can't accept it because there's something in there that is truthful. But we can also be discerning. And I think, you know, one one example may be that the Bible affirms us as individuals. Mm-hmm. It really does. You think about um, Ephesians two eight through ten. You know, which. Um, says we're saved from our sins, not someone else's sins. <laughs> mm. Jesus came to die for us as individuals. Um, it talks about that we are God's um, masterpiece created in Christ to accomplish good works that he's prepared for us to walk in. And so there's a sense that God is, um, for for all of humanity, he, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there's a sense that he's also for each individual. <laughs> And is so in touch with us, mm. our desires, our feelings, mm. and, and has a deeper knowledge that, than we do of ourselves. And so I think that's an important thing. I think self-reflection and self-understanding and the way that you're aware of your feelings and honest about your desires can be a positive thing. Mm. I think the scripture, particularly the Psalms, would affirm this. The, the problem, of course, is that our world lacks a, a really good filter to navigate mm. through our messy set of feelings and desires. Mm. 
And that's where I think expressive individualism really fails. It, it makes the individual the source of truth mm. rather than uh, the God's word. Mm. So as followers of Christ, obviously we're, we're called to filter our feelings, our desires through the filter of God's word and his plan for us. So I think, I think where I see expressive individualism really, um, really coming up short and being destructive is it, it does not really give a clear, honest picture of the human condition. Mm. I mean, the Bible talks about original sin yeah. has affected each one of us, affected and infected each one of us to where our desires are not always good. And oftentimes even our good desires turn bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm broken. I'm a sinner. You're broken. You're a sinner. Our kids are, are broken. They come into this world not needing to learn selfishness. You know, we, we always talk about that, right? They, they get the understanding of mine really easily. Yeah. The concept of others, that's a, we're still working on that. I'm still working on that one. And so we're just a mix of competing desires and motivations and expressive individualism contradicts the gospel. It contradicts the idea of original sin that we are broken, not yeah. good, ultimately yeah. need a savior to fix us. Mm. So... That's, I think, one area, um, maybe just another, and then I'll put it back to you. I think another huge problem is this idea that you can discover your truth, your, you know, your worth, your value, your identity. It's all based on your journey and who you are and the, you know, the ability you have to look within. It's pretty ambiguous. Mm. It, it, and when it comes to kids, I mean, how much pressure is it for us to, to tell kids you're responsible for your happiness? <laughs> mm. Each one of you has to basically um, find out what, what this world's all about. Find out what your identity is, you know? So good luck, um, not to mention the people that have gone before them that, that really set out on that journey. They, they don't really have a great time <laughs> yeah. doing that as we, as we see so often. And so it becomes this thing where they now are left deciding what's right and what's wrong. Mm. And so I think expressive individualism is really putting too much pressure on our kids and I think our teens especially. Wow. And so because... That's such a good point. It's not the goal of life. And I, I think that res, that idea and that ideology is responsible for so much of the anxiety and depression we're seeing today in people. Fascinating. It seems to me like a lot of times what we have are grown up, thinkers who are unhappy, who are telling a younger generation, this is how to be happy. Yep. <laughs> and the reason why I'm still struggling with happiness is because there's these remnants or pockets out there who are telling me that I'm wrong for pursuing the desires and pleasures or whatever it is that I've been chasing totally. after. Uh, it's almost like, a, I don't know if you've ever listened to a Taylor Swift album, but it's like, man, there are like a lot of haters out there. And I'm not really sure if they're really in existence or not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like you kind of have a lot of believers that are just kind of like quietly churning along. You know, we're not really yeah. saying all that much. We're trying to just peaceably follow the Lord and walk with right. him. But it's like just our presence can, mm. you know say to someone, oh man, you're the reason I'm not happy with the totally. life that I'm choosing to live. So great I love that. Yeah. The pressure that we're putting on that younger generation in my mind, it's kind of like, as I'm hearing you talk, it's sounding to me like, uh, especially with the first thing that you said about how the, it, uh, doesn't represent the human condition, uh, accurately. You know, the Bible portrays us as fallen and broken people. And when you look at Romans 1 and what a uh, fallen and broken humanity is going to do and going to pursue, it's kind of like, okay, all that's going to happen because we're fallen and broken. But the expressive individualist plants their flag in the ground and says, I'm going to let my freak flag fly. Yep. And Romans 1 is my existence and it's good. That's who I am. And there's no rebellion here against anyone or anything. This is actually uh, very important mm -hmm. for me to, to express and live out. Mm. 
All right. So I love that. Just thinking about, are there any good things about it? You're very charitable when you're saying that, but then obviously there's some insidious, uh, bad things about it. So how might it show up then in, uh, parenting, you know, cause it, it's like culture and, uh, to borrow the biblical terminology, the world mm-hmm. or the age, um, we're swimming in it. You know, it's, it's, uh, around us all the time. You talk about media. Mm-hmm. It's like just the things that we watch, the advertisements that are given to us, the books that we read, the podcasts we listen to on all sides of things. We're living in this. I mean, my opinion Absolutely. is that expressive individual individualism is partly responsible for, um, a lot of the, uh, maybe more extreme personal sexuality kind of decisions that people make. Yeah. I also think that it's responsible for Bible believing Christians not attending church very often. Yeah. I, it's like, mm. it's just, I am the authority. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I need to live out my desires and my values. Right. Um, so I don't think what we're saying here is, well, expressive individualism, the way it affects parenting is that a parent is going to go to their kid and say, what gender are you? Right. Uh, yeah. There's other ways that it will impact the way that we parent. And I'm curious um, how you see it impacting parents, especially, you know, the people we're probably talking to the most, you know, Bible believing, gospel uh, believing, uh, born again Christians yeah. who are yeah. saying, oh, I don't want to be. Um, influenced by this without knowing it. Mm. I, I don't want my par- I want my parenting to reflect scripture and not to reflect the age. So what are some, mm. some uh, ways that it shows up in parenting these days in your mind? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so good. I, I think, um, I think you're right in that as Christians that are raising a, a, a desire to raise godly kids in this, um, you know, secular world. I think there are probably subtle ways that that we might find ourselves um, embracing aspects of like an expressive individualism, and I, you know, I think for for me, I, I see if the if the if the idea of expressive individualism is, you know, you need to discover what makes you happy, and so you just take a child, and if our kids are left making the decision of what makes them happy. I mean, you, you have just opened up so many different possibilities. Like I I know my four year old, he has such a sweet tooth and you know, it it is a daily conversation and that um, we have that he wants sweets and he he just, my kind of guy. Yeah. He is just a sweet guy and uh, in so many different ways. But um, so it's like, it's like he forgot that yesterday we had the conversation and dad said, we don't have sweets until, you know, we give him a little, maybe lunch sweet. And then maybe like a little dinner sweet. Um, you know, you can comment on that, whether we're going overboard or underboard. I don't know. That's your call, man. (laughs) Whatever you feel inside, (laughs) whatever I feel, that's what I'm feeling right now. But, but he will, you know, he'll ask in the morning, dad, can I, you know, can I have a sweet, can I have some chocolate, you know? And it's just great that, if he could make the decision for his life and, and what was going to make him happy, um, I know it would include a lot of sugar, <laughs> which of course, knowing uh, the little that I know about, uh, you know, healthy eating and nutrition, I know that that's not a great thing when we give right. ourselves just yeah. a bunch of sugar. That's a really small example. I'm not telling parents that you're just letting your kids eat too much or whatever, although that could be the case. But I think this idea that the point of life is for my kids to be happy. And I need, you know, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything possible to, to not cause them to be unhappy because an unhappy child is, is, is there's something wrong with that. Mm. And I think parents, there's such a heart that means well with that. I want my kids to be happy. I don't want my kids to be walking around bummed out, disgruntled with life and just hating it, you know? And so, um, but I think there is an overcorrection to where if our kids' happiness becomes, the litmus test for how we're doing as parents or how they're doing, I think we're missing something really important. I I don't Mm. think our goal should be um, our kids' happiness so much as our kids' wholeness. Mm. (laughs) Raising happy kids, but raising 
whole kids. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, um, one thing expressive individualism does a really crummy job of is navigating through suffering and difficulty. Yeah. Whereas the Bible has so much to say about a theology of suffering that I believe really will create in our kids a resilience that is lacking in so many kids today. That resilience is the ability to stand. It's the ability to weather the storm, to work through hard things, hard feelings, um, uh, awkward situations, difficult things um, for the sake of what, what good is on the other end. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that we can just need to be aware of is, are we letting our kids' happiness drive the way that we parent? If we do, I think we're going to miss it here or there because they don't know <laughs> ultimately yeah. what is going to be the thing yeah. that makes them a whole person. I love that, Matt. That's such a great point. So well said. Would you say that can a parent be helped in that paradigm by shifting the timeline of when they want their child to be happy? Mm-hmm. You know, for, for instance, and I think what I'm getting at is as I raised my kids when they were in those younger years, and even now today, uh, as they're mostly in their late teenage years, um, I've watched how there's times I have to make a decision about them and for them because I want them in the future when they're grown, I want them to be happy then. So, you know, to use your humorous illustration about crew and his uh sugar uh passions you know i i want you when you're 30 years old to have a a healthy relationship with food to feel like it's a gift that god has given to us and humanity praise Mm -hmm. god that he didn't just give us like an iv drip to (laughs) give us the nutrients that we need but he made it something that could be pleasurable or that we could be creative with you know or that could be cultural you know there's all these great things about it but if you've just crossed every line and been kind of a maniac probably when you're 30 years old it's going to be you're going to you're going to have to do some reparative work in order to have that healthy relationship with food. So yeah. I've discovered a lot of things like mm-hmm. that where it's, okay, it's, I do want them to be happy, but in the future. Yep. And, and, and even now I want them to be happy. Absolutely. I mean, if they're just on a sugar high all the time, they're not going to be, you know, totally. happy. I, I feel like we're really leaning into this illustration right now, but <laughs> <laughs> people are probably like, get off it. Yeah. But it, is that a helpful yeah. thought to like shift the timeline? That's so good. Yeah. That, that delayed, you know, kind of, hmm. um, gratification, gratification is, is a thing that, um, can be so hard to teach our kids because it's hard for us um, yeah. often that, yeah, that's so well said, Nate. You know, it's it's having the big picture. It's having the long range view in mind in parenting mm. that if I'm parenting just for this moment to make sure that we're, you know, you're, you're happy right here and, and you, you love mommy or you love daddy or it, usually it means you like mommy or you like daddy because <laughs> so much of our parenting is based out of our insecurities, right? Um, I'm speaking to myself there. But if I'm, if I'm parenting in that way, um, I'm going to miss that long range view and I'm not going to set them up for success in the future. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's something that Phil and Diane Comer, you know, they talk about is what is this behavior going to do in 10 years? you know, kind of have the 10 year rule, kind of have that in your mind. If I, if I, if I parent this way now, what's that going to look like when they're 14, Mm. when they're 16, you know, when they're 18, are we going to be able to have these same conversations? Um, but, but I think ultimately, you know, uh, yes, we want our kids to be happy, but I, I guess what I'm saying to parents is, you know, you know more. <laughs> if you yeah. don't, you know, man, there's such great resources and books out there. There's there's families that you can talk to. Hey, what are these big picture goals? You know, I love that Phil and Diane Comer kind of break it down. to We're, we're raising, um, you know, young men and women that will love God with passion and love people on purpose. Mm. Those are both like outward <laughs> mm. kind of goals. They're not, they're not inner 
word goal. I mean, loving God absolutely yeah. flows from us, but, but those are directed out and they're not directed in. And so I just think that's a, another shift is, is giving our kids that picture of an others centered life, mm-hmm. which goes directly against the expressive individualism. Mm-hmm. That's good. So the, the uh, people that Matt's referring to, Phil and Diane Comer, will put a link to their book, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, in uh, the show notes. They also have a great online parenting class for those who would like to dig deeper into some of these uh, concepts. Uh, but Matt, uh, are there other um, errors that you see kind of show up in, in our modern parenting uh, besides just the... Um, an unwillingness or a, like an overemphasis on our children's personal happiness. Mm. Yeah, I think mind. so. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to um, where we could end up dropping the ball in um, helping our kids develop into those, those whole persons, right? Um, I think is when we, kind of move our authority to the side and allow uh, our kids to have too prominent of a voice. <laughs> yeah. A seat at the table. A seat at the table. Yeah. So it's this balance, right? Because I feel it, it, there are some good aspects of, um, you know, I think why people had started to embrace expressive individualism. And it may have been the, you know, the response to the idea that I think our parents grew up with, you know, kids are better seen, not heard. Right. No dialogue. No, I should never have to explain why I'm doing this. We're not going to talk about feelings or, you know, you know, it's this kind of rugged, you know, kind of, Hey, you just got to deal with it. Grin Mm -hmm. and bear it kind of attitude. You're going to play football, whether you like it or not, boy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so I think there was this attempt like, well, that's maybe not the healthiest approach, but you know, as things happen, you know, we swung to the other direction or or society swung to the other end. And now it's, it's every feeling, every desire. We got to validate that Mm. because we don't want to squash them, you know, kind of, I think coincided with the self-esteem movement, Mm -hmm. you know, kids don't like themselves. And so what we need to do is we need to, we need to build them up. Mm. And so I think, as Christian parents subtly where that can slip in is that we, we kind of step back in our authority and in leading and in really um, training our kids, Mm -hmm. discipling, disciplining our kids. And we maybe allow them to um, take too prominent of a place and deciding what, when, where, how, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if, um, and all of those things. And I, I'm a huge proponent of conversations with, with our kids, you know, and I think having the ability for them to share how they're doing, what they're feeling. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. But there is a point where it gets to where, um, you know, in their four-year-old mind or nine-year-old mind, like my kids are for years, it's different. You realize no, this is not your place. And again, there's a pressure that we're putting on them to navigate through some pretty big things that us as parents even scratch our heads at sometimes. So Mm. why would we think that our kids possessing the mental faculties that they do at those young ages are going to be able to lead their life, let alone even our family successfully? Mm. So I think that's an area. And I just, I want to encourage parents with the truth that God has placed you as an authority over your kids and over your family. And that is by design. Yeah. That is not a mistake. Yes. Parents are not a mistake. Moms and dads are not a mistake. And so we need to steward that responsibility. Don't just take it. Okay. You get home and I'm the authority here. What I say goes, man, it's a servant leadership. You know, you're, you're the first to lay down your life for your family and serve but it means also you are the one that is going to be held accountable. Yeah. So it's, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, saying, and I'll probably butcher it, but I've heard it said often about, uh, our style of government of a democratic Republic and that it, a, a democracy is only as strong as the people who populate that mm-hmm. nation. And so when the people are weird, <laughs> you're going to get weird results. 
Um, so when there's personal righteousness, a fear of the Lord, you know, a democracy can be a pretty incredible uh, environment. Well, in our homes, it's not a democracy. I mean, your little five-year-old kid, they're not, they're not ready to vote yet. You know, <laughs> it's right. great to talk. It's great to explain. It's great to be relational. But uh, for them to understand authority is really important. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's something that travels with you for the entirety of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all under authority in some capacity, under God, under uh, the government, under church leadership, under the constraints of the sun and the moon and the stars and the time that we all have, the constraints of our bodies, the authority our body has over us. So it says you have to sleep, and if you don't, totally. you're going to break down. Like We're people under authority, and we need to learn how to follow how to submit i think that's the the reason why when paul wrote to the ephesian church and he is talking to the families he said children obey your parents in the lord for Mm. this is right there's not a lot that he said about parenting but one of the big things that he was holding out and i don't think this was exclusively or even primarily an exhortation to the to the children in the congregation I think it was meant for the parents to hear, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be teaching my child about. I'm supposed to be teaching them that obedience is a very important value in the eyes and in the mind of God. Okay, now we've been highlighting that and you alluded to just a moment ago something I want to want to have you color in a little yeah. bit more. And it's just the, the non... Um, brutal authoritarian way in which you do this yeah um you know somebody could be listening to this and they don't have any context whatsoever to you your parenting style me my parenting style they're just hearing us talk and they're like wow these guys are really into the authority thing must be (laughs) pretty rough you know at at home but i've watched you and brie and i've seen how you guys are some of the most gentle parents that i know And in my mind, um, having uh, leadership and guidance and clear lines of who's in charge at the end of the day here, all of that leads to a peaceableness Mm. and a love within a family that is really strong. When there is that, well, we all have an even uh, seat at this table. We all have our own perspective, our own say it's an infuriating experience because it's not real. Right. You know, the parents know like at the end of the day, we're paying the bills and making these big decisions. And it's just kind of a farce to mm-hmm. act like they're in the same position we're in. And so the kid gets frustrated. The parents totally. end up not liking their kids very much. It becomes a frustrating experience for them. Yeah. So what I want you to highlight is if you could flesh out that you said servant leadership, mm. you could flesh that out a little bit more for us yeah. what does it look like for when those collision points come and you're trying to lead your kids through it is it, is it slam doors and slam you know stomping right. your feet and you know because i said so you know is it is it that or is it something right. else yeah it's definitely something else <laughs> i'm glad you i'm glad you said that not that you know we've never raised our voice and gotten in the flesh of and course. You know, we aren't perfect, and that's another thing that that parents need to know is you're not going to be perfect in representing Christ, and that's why you still need forgiveness. And that's why I think even in our imperfections, we can demonstrate the gospel to our kids in that, you know, I've had to apologize to my sons, and, you know, whether it's, hey, Daddy did not represent Jesus in that conversation. I was too harsh, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that. And so would you forgive me? And I've asked for their forgiveness and I'm just always blown away. I mean, just how quickly they're ready to forgive and move on. Yeah, dad, Mm. it's okay. Mm. But I think um, servant leadership, you know, Nate, I I think the way that I think about it is um, there's a way to be the authority that can produce in your kids, um, moral behavior like there's a way to to be big and strong and loud and Ah. to almost parent from fear yeah so you're getting like a moral conformity kind of thing yeah 
So, so you know that you get out of line, it's not going to go well for you. Mm. And so, so it's not necessarily discipline, it's punishment. Yeah. And it's this kind of, um, you know, guilt, <laughs> innocence kind of way that in my, in my good standing in my home, yeah. we don't, we don't want to raise our kids like that. We want them to know that they're accepted, they're loved. We, we know, and we expect that they're going to make mistakes because the Bible tells us that's the way it is. And we still make mistakes, yeah. but what we can't do as parents and we have these conversations is we can't just let you just kind of do that and then not have some consequence yeah. or not have some conversation about that because that would not be loving mm. because these little things I know from my own life, I let little compromises in over time, little things become big things. Mm. And again, it's that 10 year thing. Well, if I let this conversation slide or I let that bad attitude slide or I let the bickering slide between brothers and all, oh, that's just what boys do. It's not a big deal. How am I preparing them for relationships in the future with their friends? Yeah. Is that just how kids are? So if they don't know that, no, that's not the way that we're called to be, they're going to just continue to do those things. Mm. Yeah, they may mature at some point and realize, oh, that doesn't make me friends. <laughs> Nobody wants to hang out with me. But how much better is it for our home to be the training ground for us to have conversation? So I think what it is, it's, it's, it's gently instructing our kids in the way of the Lord. And, you know, the Proverbs are such a clear example of um, God's idea for how men and women are to operate in the world. We've been reading the Proverbs to them each night. We have this book from the 80s that I grew up with called The Book, Proverbs from the Bible. It's great. The Love illustrations it. are so good. I mean, they're fully night or eighties. Um, and, and the book isn't made anymore, but I found an extra copy. I found a mint condition copy at a thrift store in Pacific Grove. Whoa. <laughs> and then they're on eBay for like 50 bucks or something, but man, I wish they would reprint it. But what, what you have in there is, is you just have, um, you know, simple truth of, Hey, foolishness <laughs> is something we could all be prone to that needs to be corrected. And so, um, you know, I, I want our kids to know that, Hey, there's nothing that you're going to do. That's going to keep me from loving you. Mm. But you know that my love is going to be expressed in, Hey, if I see something that needs correction, I'm going to correct. And we're going to talk about it. It might get to the point where, Hey, they're, they're continuing in that air. And so I need to move into more discipline. Mm. And so we have to be thoughtful in that. Me and Bree have a lot of conversations, but I think the main thing is I got to be intentional. It's so inconvenient to be a parent. I remember you <laughs> told me that one time, you know, when we go to a friend's house and, you know, you're at that place, you're like, I just hope our kids just, you know, do all right. But in that moment, you're having a conversation and then you hear your, your son or you hear your kid say something or do something. It's like, okay, I got to address that. Yeah. So excuse me really quick. And then we go and we address that. That's what I mean by intentional is that's a, that's your, that's your role. Yeah. So be involved, be intentional, be loving, be gracious, represent the heart of Christ. He is so good towards us. So I love it, Matt. I mean, you said earlier that as believers, we have these resources, you know, and the gospel gives us these resources. And to me, what we believe as Christians gives us the fuel for the kind of gentleness and guidance and training that you're talking about. And the other perspective we're talking about today, expressive individualism, it sounds so loving and gentle and kind on the surface, mm -hmm. but because it has an underpinning within it that says mankind is basically good, when our kids aren't good, mm -hmm. it infuriates and shocks and disappoints parents. Yes. Whereas for Christians, our standing position should be, I am not surprised at all. That's it. We're born in sin. We struggle with sin. And so we come in with grace and the gospel and we help them know there's a loving father who's got a better way yep. for life for you. And I'm telling you this path you've chosen right here today, it's going to hurt you in the long run. So and we're coming at it uh, from the same position, fellow yeah. recipients of the grace of God, rather than people who are shocked because 
wow, I've discovered a human who isn't intrinsically good. <laughs> and I don't know so, what to do. So well said. And I'm stuck with them. Yep. So I love that. I love that gentleness. So let's, uh, I, I would love Matt to uh, round the corner for the, yeah. the last leg of the, uh, the episode and ask you about what uh, Christian parents should do um, in response to the pervasiveness of mm-hmm. expressive individualism. Um, you might want to talk about, hey, you know, your kids are in school, they're hearing yeah. all these ideas, here's how I would advise you to navigate that and to train them up. Or it might just be in the home, here's how mm. I, I would, you know, make sure that you're leading and parenting. But what are some of the best practices that come to mind for you to help combat that uh, pervasive uh, ideology. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think you made a good point that for some parents, it's going to look different based on, you know, the age of your kids and where your kids are going to school, whether they're public school, private school or homeschooled. Mm-hmm. I think it's just so good. And, and I hope what this conversation has helped parents see is this really is a pervasive ideology. It's seeping into everything. I mean, you know, advertisement, it, it's about... <laughs> It's about the individual, you know, your happiness, whether, you know, this kind of brand of gum is going to make me more happy and give me the things that I desire or this deodorant, you know, whatever it is, it's like we are encountering this so often. And so I think it really falls on us as the main disciplers of our kids to know the truth and to know it in a way that we can point out the air of the world (laughs) where there is a counterfeit gospel being preached and to have those conversations that are age appropriate, whether you're watching a Disney animated film, because we still watch those, but I want to have conversations of, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, this character, you know, they never, they never really owned up to the fact that they totally went against their parents and, you know, the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. What, what do you think it would have looked like, you know, if, if they would have followed their parents or, you know, um, uh, obeyed their parents? Were their parents a, um, an authority that should have obeyed? She would have never got her legs. She'd have been a mermaid forever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sorry. But, no, but it's, it's like that. It's, it's, it's being willing to, to kind of get into those things because our kids are growing up in it. We're yeah. coming, looking down, you know on it, but they're growing up in it and can be the proverbial frog being boiled in water. Mm -hmm. And so it really is on us as parents to, to, um, read good books that address these things and can, um, really inform us so that we can be informed. I am not an, an expert. Like I said, at the beginning of this, what I do do is read. And I want to yeah. read because I want to be able to have these conversations. I've got a, I've got two boys. My oldest, he's a thinker. So he's asking questions all the time about, well, what about this, Dad? His big thing right now is like, you know, creation and evolution. Well, what is the evolution? You know, and he just has hundreds of questions he's asked me. I know it's going to get to the point where he's going to ask questions about sexuality and gender. And we're starting to have those conversations at this level. And so... I think another thing, if I can encourage parents with, is really start to develop in your kids an, an understanding of what the Bible says about desire. Mm-hmm. So, because so much of, I think, the expressive individualism centers around desire. And the fact that the Bible says that there are desires that are good, right? <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So those desires that are good and and godly and whole, those are the things that God wants to bring about in our lives. But we also know James talks about that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. There's there's also desires in us that aren't good. Yeah, I want to double down on that because that's a really important point that you're bringing up because the, the environment that we're swimming in right now I think even a lot of Christians are shocked when a desire bubbles up Mm -hmm. that is counter to the dictates of scripture. So this could be a sexual desire, a romantic desire, 
or any number of things that might come up within us. And if we're, if we don't have what you're talking about, this understanding that biblically there will be desires that are godly and good and but I could also expect that there will be desires in my broken state that will contradict the word of God. Um, if we're not ready for that, then we won't know how to process it when ourselves or our kids start having desires that are out of bounds, mm-hmm. you know, that God says, hey, don't, don't follow that desire. Mm-hmm. And we become shocked. So For instance, I think a lot of Christians have thought like, well, the second you become a Christian, there's a certain category, maybe in like sexual desire, Mm -hmm. there's a certain category of desires that just go away and you're not going to deal with those. Maybe you'll have some like heterosexual, like lust oriented temptation, uh, but certainly nothing else. Right. But that's, where's that in the Bible? Right. That's not found in scripture and to prepare ourselves for, Hey, there might be desires I have that are way out of bounds in God's word, even as a Christian Mm -hmm. to prepare ourselves for that is really, really important because if it happens to us or it happens to our kids, we need to be ready for it because especially in those desire realms that, yeah, I mean, if it comes to like greed, like, Oh, you're going to have probably have that desire. You know, we all admit that'll probably happen. And the culture that we're in will affirm and say, yeah, that is wrong. Right. Right. But there are also desires that our culture will say, that's just good and exactly. right and pure. And when those are the ones that rise up within us, we got to be ready yeah. uh, for those. So I love that you, you shared that. So sorry for interjecting there, but no. I just felt that one was really important to, to drill down on. So you, you mentioned uh, having a good kind of theology of desire mm-hmm. and teaching our kids about that. Also, yeah. you are encouraging kind of thoughtful interaction with uh, media so mm-hmm. the, um, and I, and I love that because I think there's the perspective that says like, you're never going to listen to that music under my roof. Right. And look, there is some stuff that just shouldn't be piped into yes. your kid's ear canal. Uh, <laughs> but, um, there's also the perspective that says, Hey, let's talk about the messaging of that pop song that yeah. we just listened to, you know, great groove. It was fun, mm-hmm. but what's really being said? there you know and i found over the years i got to kind of pick and choose those moments because it it does it can get a little tiring to live with a pastor who's you know (laughs) okay dad let's inspect just watched avatar the the worship of the planet you know like so uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta pick your spots but it's so important to to do so are there others though for you that you'd say yeah, these are also some good practices for parents. Yeah, I think um, because where we've seen expressive individualism, I think really present itself, and you brought this up, but in areas of sexuality and in areas of gender uh, kind of confusion, mm-hmm. if, the, if the, the sole truth lies within the individual and that truth is determined through desire, then... You can see how a culture, how a society would say, well, you don't like your gender. I want you to like your gender. I want you to be happy. And so, again, that happiness being that that main kind of goal. So this isn't making you happy. We're going to find a way to make you happy. And then, you know, in a similar way with sexuality. Well, yeah, these were old norms or, you know, but but this is constraining and no this thing is more open and fluid and so you can express yourself in different ways i think as christians this is a big one you know as we're raising kids and you know i think there was an approach kind of when i was growing up that it was just um you had a good understanding of what was bad about Mm. those things (laughs) stay away this is bad don't go there and and it just you you kind of felt like wow this thing is like this is kind of scary. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know. I don't even know. Like it's, it's okay. It's good. Yeah. In marriage, but even that, but I think as parents, as, as we are raising younger kids, we can do, we can do the work of presenting the goodness of sexuality, the goodness of our bodies that obviously have been affected by sin and the mm-hmm. fall 
Like that's such a clear <laughs> um, truth. And for me, I, I use the example of my genetic disease. I was born, my genes were just a little messed up. And so my body is not the body that I would choose because my body has been impacted and it's affected my health. Yeah. Now it's different than of course a gender kind of a thing, but the point of our bodies are, are it's not gonna be perfect. But to also recognize that there's design that God has given us, the bodies, the parts, um, he's given us the desire um, in, in a lot of ways, good desires for um, love, for sex, for intimacy, these are all good things that he's created. This wasn't an oops moment by God. <laughs> like in the garden, good stuff, good aspects of all of those, the best aspects of all those things were happening. And so to lay that foundation of the goodness, to then be able to say, what happens when we take a good thing and we take it outside of yeah. you know, the context and the covering that God has, here's where, here's where it can be unhealthy and unhelpful and, and sinful. So I, I just... I think parents having those conversations, and again, we've got some some resources that we recommend and that we're going through and that um, we know other parents have gone through. I think it's just a different time. I think parents mm -hmm. just need to be um, able to not blush when talking about yeah. sexual things with their kids yeah. and just be real honest. Yeah, Because they're, they're going to, the point is if we can't give them a clear answer, it's like, well, mom, dad don't really know what that is. Well, yeah. Google knows. Yeah. So that's where they're going to go. Yeah. And, oh gosh, we don't want them. Yeah, there's going no to shame there. No. Nope. Yeah, yeah. They're not embarrassed to talk about it in that, in that spot and in that place. That's great. We'll get, um, for those of you listening right now, we'll get the, uh, some of the recommendations that Matt mentioned and we'll link to them in the show notes. So if you'd like to follow up with a resource or two that, um, pastor Matt and, and his family has used and tested, uh, then you can uh, click on the links there and that will be, uh, helpful, I'm sure, to uh, to you. Yeah, I think uh, what you're alluding to, I mean, with because of expressive individualism, there is a recruitment that's occurring right now to bring kids into some of these, quote, alternative lifestyles, mm -hmm. unquote. And um, it's being presented, you know, and uh, of course, in the modern concept of things, what people will say is, oh, look, we're just discovering how many people really already had those desires who were suppressing and right. keeping them quiet because of a bit embarrassment and things not being culturally accepted and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sure there's a, 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 a little bit of truth to that, you know, mm -hmm. folks saying like, I had these desires, but now it's accepted. So I'll let it be known. But there's definitely recruitment that's going on as well, yeah. where you take uh, a nascent or infant desire, as you quoted from James, that then gives birth and it blooms into something bigger than uh, would have been there without that encouragement. And I think that's where a lot of believers get really angered mm -hmm. and frustrated because it's uh, such a damaging, poisonous, dangerous um belief system that's out there uh, that's leading kids to do you know wild and crazy things you know right. to 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 walk into perhaps a, a psychologist or a doctor's office and have a 20-minute conversation and to walk out with a prescription for uh, synthetic hormones that are going to begin to change your body or something like that it's just a scary thing that yeah. that could happen to mm -hmm. a child but we can't remain in the anger position mm. exclusively mm -hmm. we've got to then process that and begin to promote the beautiful uh, aspects of God's design mm -hmm. uh, to our kids I think that's what you're you're highlighting yeah well said Nate Matt so great to to have you mm. uh, talking about this and um, talking about parenting a little bit and yeah um, I uh, really appreciate you guys and and uh, just your mindset thinking about all these things. So I'm curious uh, if you have, you know, you mentioned a few different resources today. I'd love to wrap up with a book recommendation from you and then um, any closing thoughts or exhortation mm -hmm. that you'd like to give to 
the church and the parents uh, in particular. So let's start with a, a book recommendation from you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, um, a, a couple books. We mentioned the Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. I think it's my favorite book that offers practical, like stage by stage, hmm. how to raise kids in the way of the Lord. I just, I really, I really love that, that resource. I think it's great. A resource that I've found helpful um, is Paul David Tripp's book, Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. You know, this is, um, I think this is a popular one, but what, what I like to do with this one, it's a great reference, you know, even getting ready for this conversation, they, I went to his section on, uh, that he calls authority, and he just has a way of breaking down that theological understanding of our role as parents and just saying, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And so go for it. And here's some yeah. ways to, to do it in the strength of the spirit and the, in the way that demonstrates the gospel. So that's another good one. Um, I think when it comes to understanding our day and our culture and what our kids are facing and what our teens are facing, um, I really enjoyed uh, John Mark Comer's, Comer's book, Live No Lies. I think that that's a great cultural kind of assessment. And he breaks it down into kind of the idea of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm -hmm. This is the spiritual battle we're in. Now, I wouldn't agree with Comer in, in every way that he maybe interprets the scripture, approaches the scripture. He's an orthodox guy, so. Um, but I would just give that disclaimer. I don't agree with all of his secondary beliefs, sure. but I think it's a gr good book to help us as parents be informed. I, if, if I can say one thing, Nate, I think... Bree and I have been so encouraged by you and Christina, and maybe this will be the, the word of encouragement that I give, but you guys are such great parents and Nate and Christina have been a part of our life group for, since we've been here seven years. And there's always that time in our, our life group when a parenting issue comes up and we just kind of are all looking around because we, we're, most of us have younger kids and we just all look over at Nate and Christina and we're like, all right mom and dad, <laughs> what should we do? And there's just been so many times that you've been able to share with us wisdom, whether it's, Hey, here's how we handled that. Or, you know, here's a mistake that we've made and here's how we've learned from it. And I think one particular instant that I just appreciated was, and this kind of ties into the expressive individualism is, um, we had a situation with, um, one of our kids where there was another child that, just kind of made things a little uncomfortable for one of our kids. And it was a situation where we knew we were probably going to be around them and kind of um, have to make a decision. Do we put our child in that position where, yeah, it's not a, not a super fun, you know, that, that, that they're not like grooving together. It's more of an oil and water kind of a thing. And uh, even a little bit more than that, maybe some like the meanness and just kind of, and, you know, I think as parents, you know, I just feel like we don't want to put our kids through that. Like, man, that's hard. And I think you just had such a great word and you, you just were like, you know, sometimes it's okay for them to experience some awkwardness and some, <laughs> some opposition. Like they're going to be okay through it. Now, obviously if they're like in danger and physically, like they're going to get, you know, messed up, yeah. like, don't do that. That's dumb. Bullied. Yeah. Bullying or whatever. But if it's like, okay, that's uncomfortable, that's not fun, but you know what, it's going to be okay and we're going to talk through it. I, that just, that was really great for us and that kind of made me think through like situations that I find myself in and what the scripture says about working through difficulties and, and, and you know, relationships are going to present those challenges. But I just really appreciated that perspective. So, um so that we're not shielding our kids from every awkward yeah. experience. So thank you I for that. that. I was I was trying to guess what I said to you as you were setting up the scenario. I, was like, <laughs> I could see this going either way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think for me and your situation, what stood out to me regarding that issue was just, I know that your kids have a real safe and healthy environment at home. And that will bolster them to be able to handle some of those more divisive or awkward, you know, kind of interactions. Yeah. If they just had a rough home experience, I'd be like, yeah, maybe it'd be nice for you to give them a break out there because it's pretty rough living with you. <laughs> but yeah, totally. That's not the case. 
I think my book recommendation, and I, I mentioned it earlier, and I will just give it with um, with the caveat um, that it's a book that's definitely above my pay grade and is kind of tough to track with at times. However, it is a very in-depth, thorough explanation of how we got here. Mm-hmm. And I specifically would recommend it to people who are just kind of infuriated with where we're at uh, because <clears throat> it it uh, it helps explain how a lot of where we're at it's not just one side that is there mm-hmm. it's like everybody's there we're all in this expressive individualistic like my thing is what's so important mm-hmm. and all of that um, so it's the rise and triumph of the modern self by Carl Truman the rise mm-hmm. and triumph of the modern self by Carl Truman if you can get through that one, you get some extra credit uh, points. Uh, so uh, I think my closing exhortation would just be uh, to double down on what Matt shared uh, with the parents about, hey, uh, God invented family. Mm-hmm. Uh, God invented parenting. Um, we live in a time where I'm pretty sure many of the ideologies of our day would love to eradicate the world of mom and dad and kids structure of family and the way of doing things and um, but you're important Uh, when we go to work and no matter how much our workplaces might say we're like a family we're not we're not like Mm -hmm. a family we're not a family Um, at at, uh, sports uh, a team you're not a family Uh, families are different they're designed by God There's certain roles and functions and to to be willing to to embrace that and say, look, this is not no matter how much my culture might be telling me that this is a cultural construct, that it's the vestiges of a toxic patriarchy or some other thing uh, to say, no, this is in the word. This is who I'm supposed to be. Um, and I'm, I'm going to embrace that calling. Mm-hmm. I just encourage you, don't be afraid of being a parent and parenting uh, your kids. In Judges 5, verse 2, the people of Israel sang a song after their reluctant leader finally went out into battle and won a victory for them. And the song began, Oh, when the leaders lead in mm-hmm. Israel. It's one thing to have the title leader. It's another thing to actually lead. And they were celebrating the fact that, oh man, things are good when the leaders do what they're supposed to do. So maybe we could say, oh, when the parents parent in the church. It's not just a position, but it's an action. So uh, get after it. Matt, any last closing words from you? I just think that's such a great word, Nate, and I would amen it. And you know what? God is so gracious and God is so ready and available to help in our weakness because you will be weak. Um, It can feel daunting, but man, you're up for the task. You're not alone. Find friends, um, you know, find a life group that you can get in where you can start parenting with uh, other people that you admire and, and, and take advantage of the body of Christ. So, um, you got this and, uh, we're for you.